who among us doesn't enjoy a good mystery? And especially when solving it means that I get to bring out my competitive side, even if it's just me against the clock, I just can't wait to uncover all the secrets. So June's Journey is a game that is completely up my alley, and I think you'll love it too. In June's Journey, a hidden object mystery game, you play as June Parker, who's on a quest to solve her sister's murder and uncover her family's many secrets. Each chapter brings you deeper into the story, and it's set in the Roaring Twenties, so beyond uncovering clues, you get to experience the glitz and glamour of the time. June's Journey is definitely not a game I play mindlessly, which I love because I get genuinely invested and a lot of it is a race against time, so there's a little fun added pressure of trying to find the clues as quickly as you can in each scene. There are also tons of ways to customize the island that you're on, learn more about the characters, and then new chapters are added weekly, so you really can't run out of things to explore. So if you think you're up to solve this case, download June's Journey for free today on iOS or Android or play on PC through Facebook games. June needs your help, detective. What do you get when you take two childhood friends with a passion for unexplored history and a whole lot of booze? You get us, Queen's Podcast. And here at Queen's, we are spilling the tea on all kinds of women from history. From New Orleans voodoo queen, Marie Laveau, to Marie Antoinette, and everything in between. Each queen is paired with a cocktail recipe that will totally get you in the mood to hear the fun, dramatic, and juicy stories of fascinating women from history. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Cheers! Hi, I'm Madigan, and you're listening to Your Angry Neighborhood Feminist, a podcast that explores the world through a personal feminist perspective. Hello, hello, everyone, and happy Pride! Happy Pride Month, everybody! Cheers, queers, and all of that good stuff. I'm very excited to start another Pride Month on Your Angry Neighborhood Feminist. Always a fun-themed month. Lots of important topics to be discussed, so on and so forth. So to start off, I really, really want to remind you all that if you are a listener that is a member of the LGBTQIA plus community and you want to send in your coming out story please, please do so. I am going to be recording that episode toward the end of June. So if you could have all of your stories into me by June 23rd, I would really, really appreciate that. There are a few ways for you to send in your story. You can either email me at neighborhoodfeminist at gmail.com or you can direct message me on Instagram at angryneighborhoodfeminist and send your stories there. If you would like to remain anonymous, that is totally fine. Just add a little note at the bottom of your message or right at the top and just state that you would like to remain anonymous and I will make sure to do so and that any other you know descriptors in the story and things like that are made discreet enough that your identity is going to be protected. So please don't worry about that. I'm so excited to do this episode again this year. It's one of my very, very, very favorite episodes. It obviously means a lot to me now too, because I came out myself now almost two years ago on this show. So, oh my God, so exciting. Um, (laughs) I can't wait to do this episode again. So Please send in those stories. I would greatly appreciate it. The only other announcement that I have for you is that I'm also going to be doing a very gay book this month for the Angry Feminist Book Club. I am going to be covering the book Oranges Are Not the Only Fruit by Jeanette Winterson. So far, so good. Really enjoying that book. The first episode for that book will be up 
probably within the next like week and a half or so. Once I've chosen a date, I'll make sure to announce it on the show and on Instagram and all that fun stuff. But now there is a bit of a backlog on the Patreon. If you're interested in getting some extra episodes, I think it would be very worth it. At the $5 level, you can join the Angry Feminist Book Club where you can get multiple episodes covering multiple books such as such as Barracoon or The Story of the Last Black Cargo by Zora Neale Hurston, Women Talking by Miriam Taves, and most recently, Still Learning by India Oxenberg. And there will be one more episode with the book Still Learning and with India in particular, where I will be asking her your questions. So I haven't really received many questions at all for that episode, so I think I am going to open it up to Anybody who has listened to her story or that knows about her story that has any questions that you want me to ask her, I am very excited to get her back on the show and hang out with her virtually again because she lives so far. But yeah, it's going to be a really, really great episode. So get those to me as soon as you possibly can. Okay, other than that, I don't think I have any announcements or anything like that that I need to make. And I think I am ready to get into this week's topics. So I kicked it really old school again this week and I wrote everything down in my notebook instead of typing them up. So if you hear any papers rustling, that's what that is. It's just going to add to the ambiance of this episode. So the first thing that I wanted to touch on are kind of like some updates with different abortion lawsuits and the status of abortion access and things like that in the United States. Back in March, five women from Texas got together to start a lawsuit against Texas's unbelievably strict abortion laws. And now more than a dozen Texas women have joined the Center for Reproductive Rights lawsuit against the state law, which prohibits abortion unless the pregnant person's life is in danger. And a big issue with this definition is that it isn't clearly defined. And many physicians right now are nervous to even speak about abortion with their patients for fear of serious repercussions. Doctors who perform abortions in Texas risk life in prison and fines up to $100,000. So one of the main goals of this lawsuit is to have a law more clearly defined as to what life at risk means, and when a doctor can speak to their patient about terminating a pregnancy and so on and so forth. But hopefully that could also be a stepping stone to more and more access to abortion in general in Texas, right? Almost all of the plaintiffs in these lawsuits tell similar stories about their doctors telling them that if it were not for the law, quote, I'd give you an abortion right now. How devastating would it be to be denied something that you truly need or want very, very badly and have someone on a personal level agree with you and be there for you, but have their hands tied. It's not worth it for someone to literally lose their lives or their livelihood because they have to be able to support themselves and their families too. It's just they're caught in this terrible cycle. Molly Duane, the lead attorney on the case, said the Center of Reproductive Rights is looking to use this lawsuit as a framework for other states as they're looking to file similar lawsuits in other states as well. So this kind of leads me into the 
second story that I wanted to talk about regarding abortion rights in this country. So the next section I'm going to give a little bit of a trigger warning to because it does involve child sexual assault. There will be no details given of any kind, but I am going to be mentioning it. So just be on guard for that if you are hypersensitive to that topic. If you'll remember back to, I think it was back in July when I mentioned this, but I don't think I went very far into it because there really isn't a whole lot of information about it still to this day that's floating around out there on the internet. Of course, this is for good reason. This is for a child's protection's sake. So there was a 10-year-old girl in Ohio who was raped and became pregnant, and she and her mother drove to Indiana in order to receive an abortion for their 10-year-old child. This doctor spoke publicly, not about the case, but just about the fact that they had a 10-year-old patient who was raped that they had performed an abortion on publicly. This has kind of created a little bit of a, a stir. And now this doctor, Dr. Caitlin Bernard, is facing a discipline hearing over giving this abortion. Dr. Bernard has been accused by Indiana's Republican Attorney General of violating the state law by not reporting the child's abuse to authorities, as well as breaking federal patient privacy laws by telling a newspaper reporter about the child's treatment. According to Dr. Bernard, to the Medical Licensing Board, she followed Indiana's reporting requirements for child abuse cases to hospital staff. This child's case was already being investigated by Ohio authorities. In regards to publicly sharing about the case, Dr. Bernard's lawyers say she didn't break any privacy laws because she didn't release any identifying information about the child. And this is true. There are many, many cases out there in the world where they do discuss cases of children, but without any identifying information, location, name, name of family members, so on and so forth, in order to protect the child. Thankfully, that is a law in our country that if there is a victim of sexual assault, whether it be a child or an adult, the media and the press cannot release that person's name unless that person comes forward themselves. Once you come forward as being involved in a case or whatever, like I guess you're kind of fair game, unfortunately, but... If you haven't done so, you are protected by law if you are a victim of sexual abuse. So that is wonderful, right? And while someone's identity has to be very protected, especially a child's identity needs to be protected, it's also very important to discuss the fact that these things happen. I don't know about you, but I was incredibly shocked, not surprised, but shocked that a 10-year-old girl was impregnated by a 27-year-old man after she had been raped. That is unbelievably shocking to me. That is disturbing to me. That is terrible to me. That makes me feel really gross inside and makes me feel angry and a lot of other really uncomfortable emotions when I think about these things. But if we don't discuss them, how is that information ever going to come to light? How are we ever going to make any kind of change for these children that can't fight for themselves. So that's why I think it's important to share circumstances, to share broad stories. And I'm not mad at Dr. Bernard for coming forward and mentioning that she helped this child who desperately needed her help. I think we all needed to hear 
about that circumstance and what happened in order to get angry enough to do something about our lack of reproductive rights in this country. If even a child who has been so violated and treated so terribly cannot get the help that they deserve, what's in it for the rest of us? It's ridiculous. And this story is even more layered than that. When Dr. Bernard first came forward and spoke to the reporter about the case that she had assisted in, the right decided that she was lying, that this story wasn't true. And a lot of people bought into that and believed that narrative for a really long time until the person who committed the rape on this child was caught And we know this person is guilty because his DNA was found on the victim. So that idea was quickly put to rest. Now I am recording this episode on a Thursday, and it's just about noon right now, so it hasn't happened yet. But today is the hearing for Dr. Bernard with the Indiana Board, which is made up of six doctors and one attorney general appointed by Republican Governor Eric Holcomb. This hearing could decide whether or not Dr. Bernard will receive any penalties. The court could issue a suspension or place probation on the doctor's license. So let's all keep Dr. Bernard in our thoughts. Let's hope that everything goes well for her. I'm glad that this case is receiving some attention and that the lawsuit with the five Texas women is also receiving attention because I think that... The more people know about these horrible stories and the horrible things that are going on and why abortion is so important for multiple reasons, maybe it can change enough people's minds or at least open them up enough to slightly reduce these sanctions. And hopefully one day we can work our way back to having the abortion access that we used to have and that we all deserve. As a podcast network, our first priority has always been audio and the stories we're able to share with you. But we also sell merch, and organizing that was made both possible and easy with Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell and grow at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. They have an all-in-one e-commerce platform and in-person POS system, so wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. With the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. Shopify has allowed us to share something tangible with the podcast community we've built here, selling our beanies, sweatshirts, and mugs to fans of our shows without taking up too much time from all the other work we do to bring you even more great content. And it's not just us. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Shopify is also the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Because businesses that grow grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash realm, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash R-E-A-L-M now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash realm.
My name is Jenny Owen Youngs. And I'm Kristen Russo. And together we spent six years watching every episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer one at a time, podcasting about each and every one. Our podcast is called Buffering the Vampire Slayer, and you can learn more about it at bufferingcast.com. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. All right. I was going to get into this last week, but I totally forgot. And I feel like there's been even more in the works in the past week. So I'm not mad about it anyways. But I want to talk about the Target Pride controversy. This year's Target Pride collection has drawn scrutiny for many reasons. From the Live Laugh lesbian shirt to the bizarre drag queen bird home decor and the seemingly random inspirational Your Story Matters mug, which is being laughed at all over the place by the LGBTQ plus community. But conservatives are also coming after the collection because of course they are. There's always been some pushback for Pride collections. The Republicans on the right are never really happy about any of these things. But this year just feels a little bit different, with over 490 anti-LGBTQ bills having been filed so far this year. As politicians take more and more aim at queer and trans youth, openly homophobic and transphobic behavior has become more and more common and acceptable. The right is doing its very best to link the entire LGBTQIA community with pedophilia and grooming. Also, that is never new. Learn more about that this month for Pride Month here on Your Angry Neighborhood Feminist. Customers have been confronting employees in stores, knocking down displays, and using the aisles as their own personal stage to make threatening videos to post on social media. Last week, members of a right-wing group began to spread a lie that Target was selling tuck-friendly swimwear for children. So they do have an adult bathing suit that does conceal the genitals, but this is only marketed to adults. It's not marketed for children. In response, Target announced that they will be pulling some of their Pride merchandise for the safety of their employees, removing items in particular that have been biggest within the controversy. Some employees have spoken up about feeling alienated and frustrated by the company's actions, and they also stated that they've had mixed answers when their stores have talked about either moving or getting rid of certain Pride merchandise. Some employees say that they were told that they were changing it up due to like sales numbers and things like that, and there was no mention of employee safety. Many stores have actually moved their entire Pride displays all the way to the back of the store. Now, let's go back 13 years to when Target first produced its first Pride collection display in their stores. Target first released a Pride collection back in 2010, but the company landed in hot water right away for donating to political action committees who supported a homophobic candidate for governor of Minnesota, which is the state in which Target is based. This has always been like one of my biggest brags. I have a few of them though, so let me begin my let me begin my bragging fest. So in regards to Target, the Target that I grew up going to in Roseville, Minnesota was the first Target ever in the world, right? Really amazing. We were also the first Target to ever become a super Target. It's really wild whenever I talk to kids about Super Target because they only know one type of Target that has everything already, including groceries and what have you. But back in my day, back in the 90s and early 2000s, you would get, you know, your toys 
probably some makeup and things like that. I don't think there was a pharmacy involved. Actually, I'm pretty sure there was not a pharmacy involved. And clothes and toys, if I didn't mention toys. So when a super target first showed up and like they added this huge addition of like a grocery store, I can actually like remember it really, really vividly. Ours was really cool. Like we had a whole like deli area and there was a huge produce section and it was like a full on grocery store. And I feel like the ones in LA are like a little bit less nice. (laughs) I wonder if we really had like a well-equipped one being the very first one. My other little humble brag regarding Target is that my step-aunt, my dad's stepsister, has worked as a buyer for Target since like the early 90s. I actually Googled her because I haven't seen her since I was probably like 10 or 11 years old. But I always tell people that that's what she does. And I was like, I got to Google it and like make sure I'm getting my story straight. And I remember reading online that she was responsible for bringing Tickle Me Elmo to Target. (laughs) And I think that's really cool. So yeah, I've got like a lot of Target pride in my life and in my family. It's a really weird thing to be excited about, but I am. It's almost as cool as the fact that my other aunt invented the Dairy Queen Blizzard. I don't know which one is cooler. Actually, I do know. The blizzard's cooler because the ice cream is ice cold. Oh, God, I'm so sorry I did that. And it really doesn't surprise me that even though Minnesota for many, many years has been blue, there are so many prominent Republicans in that state. So it doesn't surprise me that a big Minnesota corporation would have been defending a Republican candidate that was homophobic. Not surprising to me at all. But they did receive some really harsh feedback, especially when the human rights campaign dropped Target from its equality buying guide. And in 2011, Lady Gaga dropped out of a planned collaboration with the brand. In response to all of this, Target made donations to LGBTQ plus organizations and created a committee to oversee political donations. Since then, the company has been more and more inclusive and has done more and more to give back to the LGBTQ plus community and causes. And it's really weird to talk about a lot of these really big corporations because I don't think that any of them are ethical. You know, a few that come to mind that we've been talking about this year in regards to pride celebrations, I'm thinking about, you know, Target and the Dodgers and Bud Light in particular, those three are kind of popping up. And I don't really think that the heads of any of these companies really give a shit about our rights. (laughs) I don't really think that that's the point. I think that it's a money-making opportunity. And as soon as that money-making opportunity begins to dwindle or they're losing their customer base, they're going to adjust. I mean, Starbucks did similar things with not allowing their employees to wear Black Lives Matter pins and things like that. You know, companies care more about their bottom line than they do about their employees and definitely more than they do about the community surrounding them. That's just fact. That's capitalism. So what's the best thing that we can do to celebrate pride, have our cute outfits on and fabulous accessories? Instead of going to Target, you can buy from individual companies. I am not like the best person at all of this. I don't like have a whole list of companies or anything right now, but I would actually really love to put that together. I do love that there are so many Instagram shops out there, though. I get little pop-ups on my Instagram page all the time about some really, really cool queer creators out there that 
makes so many fun things. And like the more you look into it, the more they suggest to you. So you'll keep finding more and more really cool things. But I think just be really ethical and thoughtful about what you're purchasing. I am totally guilty of purchasing Target Pride stuff because it's fun and it's right there and I don't have to wait for it in the mail or anything like that. But I really think it is important to give back in any way that you can. And instead of supporting these big corporations, we can support each other. Isn't that beautiful and what it's really all about? All right, there's one other thing that I just wanted to mention that I don't have any notes on. I don't even know how much I'm going to talk about it, but my friend Arielle sent me a DM the other day informing me that Leslie Van Houten is going to be released from prison. For those of you who are not as crazy about true crime and cults as I am, Leslie Van Houten was one of the Manson girls who murdered Sharon Tate and the LaBiancas. You know, this happened in 1969. She was a, I believe she was like in her late teens, early 20s when this happened. She is an older woman now. You know, she's like a little bit older than my mom. I didn't really look into what her health is like or really what her reasons for parole would be. But in interviews that I've seen with her in the past, she does seem to be the one that is like the most regretful for what she's done and seems to have, you know, spent their time in prison really productively. And so maybe that's part of why they decided to release her. But I liked that my friend asked me about my thoughts because they're very conflicting. I've learned that when it comes to psychological manipulation and cults, that you can be manipulated eventually to do pretty much anything. I read this really amazing memoir called Shoes of a Servant by Diane Benscooter, who I mention in um, India's book, Still Learning for the Patreon. And she was part of the Mooney's cult, which is like one of the largest cults in the world. It's been going on forever. It was really big in the 70s. And she was a part of it like at its very, very height. And in that book, she tells this story about seeing a picture of wreckage after a suicide bombing and all there was left of this person who had committed this act was part of their leg and a shoe. And the shoe that that leg was wearing was a shoe that Diane had had herself. And she literally felt like she could put herself in the shoes of that person and say, I would have done that for my leader too. Here's part of my message to her because I can't really think of how to word it perfectly again. So through a lot of this research that I've done, yada, 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 I do believe in the power to be deprogrammed, that anyone who has been psychologically manipulated in that way had the capacity to do anything for their leader, no matter how terrible. At the same time, what she did was disgusting, horrific, and something out of a horror flick. There is no excusing it. I don't see the harm in keeping her in prison. So... That's my thoughts on that. Um, Unless there is some really, really good reason for letting her out, it's just really scary to think about when someone who's done something as terrible as murdering a pregnant person, her friends, and another family, it's it's really disturbing. You don't want to think about that person being out in the world. Although another Manson family member, Squeaky Frome, has been free this entire time, even though she tried to assassinate a president. Oh, God, the Manson case is just bizarre on so many levels. 
All right, that's all I have for everyone today. Don't forget to join the Angry Feminist Book Club if you want to. Go to patreon.com slash angryneighborhoodfeminist or go to the link in the bio on my Instagram. You can also join the $8 level and be part of the Feminist Faves tier where you will get these episodes ad-free plus access to the book club. And please send me in all of your coming out stories. I want them so bad. I want to read and love and share them with the world. It is always my favorite, favorite episode. So let's make it another really, really good one, especially since it'll be my first one solo, baby. Other than that, the best way that you can show your support for me and the show is by leaving a five-star review with a quick sentence on Apple Podcasts about why you enjoy the show and also rating the show on Spotify. It really makes a big difference. Tell your friends about it if they think that they would enjoy the show, if they would like to join the community, so on and so forth. Yeah, I love you all. I think that's all I have for you today. With all that being said, I encourage you to rage on. Bye! Hey, it's Mae Whitman, and I play Frankie in the new Realm podcast, The Sisters. The Sisters is about a museum curator of medical oddities who investigates the origins of a mutated skeleton with two layers of bones. Seven ribs are completely fused, and you have no idea where this came from? No, she was sent here anonymously. Mm-mm, not she. They, maybe? Wait. I've never seen anything like this. Soon, she uncovers an extraordinary mystery that connects her present with one family's tragic past in hauntingly dangerous ways. My grandfather was a journalist back in the 60s and 70s. He specialized in strange stories. Who are they? How are they connected to the skeleton? Play the tape. You'll see. Listen to The Sisters wherever you get your podcasts. We dream about it. We both dream about it. How often? Every night.